it's Nudie, and you're listening to Reading Books with Nudie. We are reading A Little Princess by Frances Hodgson Burnett right now. The seventh chapter is so long, we're going to be hearing it over the course of the next two weeks. That means that during the next four episodes, we'll be reading the same chapter. We will also hear a short jingle or a rhyme at the end of the episode, which comes from The Jingle Book by Carolyn Wells. If you're new here, I recommend you go back and listen to past episodes, or you might not understand the story. So today, we're going to hear the first part of four of our seventh chapter. Please, if you have the time, leave a rating or review on iTunes, or your favorite podcast player. It helps the podcast be more publicized, and every little thing helps. If you have any questions, I have an email now. It's readingbookswithnudie at gmail.com. If you just want to say hi, send me an email. I'm looking forward to it. Hey guys, it turns out that we have a little princess in paper. Isn't that cool? So you'll be able to hear me pass the pages as I read it. All right, let's get started. Chapter 7, The Diamond Mines Again, Part 1. When Sarah entered the Holly Hung schoolroom in the afternoon, she did so as the head of a sort of procession. Miss Minchin, in her grandest silk dress, led her by the hand. A manservant followed, carrying the box containing the last doll. A housemaid carried a second box, and Becky brought up the rear, carrying a third and wearing a clean apron and a new cap. Sarah would have much preferred to enter in the usual way, but Miss Minchin had sent for her and, after an interview in her private sitting room, had expressed her wishes. This is not an ordinary occasion, she said. I do not desire that it should be treated as one. So Sarah was led grandly in and felt shy when, on her entry, the big girls stared at her and touched each other's elbows, and the little ones began to squirm joyously in their seats. Silence, young ladies, said Miss Minchin, at the murmur which arose. James, place the box on the table and remove the lid. Emma, put yours upon a chair. Becky, suddenly and severely. Becky had quite forgotten herself in her excitement, and was grinning at Lottie, who was wriggling with rapturous expectation. She almost dropped her box. The disapproving voice so startled her, and her frightened, bobbing curtsy of apology was so funny that Lavinia and Jessie tittered. "'It is not your place to look at the young ladies,' said Miss Minchin. "'You forget yourself. Put your box down.' Becky obeyed with alarmed haste and hastily backed toward the door. "'You may leave us,' Miss Minchin announced to the servants with a wave of her hand. Becky stepped aside respectfully to allow the superior servants to pass out first. She could not help casting a longing glance at the box on the table. Something made of blue satin was peeping from between the folds of tissue paper. "'If you please, Miss Minchin,' said Sarah suddenly, "'mayn't Becky stay?' It was a bold thing to do. Miss Minchin was betrayed into something like a slight jump. Then she put her eyeglass up and gazed at her show pupil disturbedly. Becky, she exclaimed, my dearest Sarah. Sarah advanced to step toward her. I want her because I know she will like to see the presents, she explained. She is a little girl too, you know. Miss Minchin was scandalized. She glanced from one figure to the other. 
My dear Sarah, she said, Becky is the scullery maid. Scullery maids are, are not little girls. It really had not occurred to her to think of them in that light. Scullery maids were machines who carried coal scuttles and made fires. But Becky is, said Sarah, and I know she would enjoy herself. Please let her stay, because it is my birthday. Miss Minchin replied with much dignity. As you ask it as a birthday favor, she may stay. Rebecca, thank Miss Sarah for her great kindness. Becky had been backing into the corner, twisting the hem of her apron in delighted suspense. She came forward, bobbing curtsies, but between Sarah's eyes and her own, there passed a gleam of friendly understanding, while her words tumbled over each other. Oh, if you please, miss, I'm that grateful, miss. I did want to see the doll, miss, that I did. Thank you, miss, and thank you, ma'am, turning and making an alarmed bob to Miss Minchin, for letting me take the liberty. Miss Minchin waved her hand again. This time it was in the direction of the corner near the door. Go and stand there, she commanded, not too near the young ladies. Becky went to her place, grinning. She did not care where she was sent so that she might have the luck of being inside the room instead of being downstairs in the scullery while these delights were going on. She did not even mind when Miss Minchin cleared her throat ominously and spoke again. Now, young ladies, I have a few words to say to you, she announced. She's going to make a speech, whispered one of the girls. I wish it was over. Sarah felt rather uncomfortable. As this was her party, it was probable that the speech was about her. It is not agreeable to stand in a schoolroom and have a speech made about you. You are aware, young ladies, the speech began, for it was a speech, that dear Sarah is eleven years old today. Dear Sarah, murmured Lavinia, several of you here have also been eleven years old. But Sarah's birthdays are rather different from other little girls' birthdays. When she is older, she will be heiress to a large fortune, which it will be her duty to spend in a meritorious manner. The diamond mines, giggled Jessie in a whisper. Sarah did not hear her, but as she stood with her green-gray eyes fixed steadily on Miss Minchin, she felt herself growing rather hot. When Miss Minchin talked about money, she felt somehow that she always hated her, and, of course, it was disrespectful to hate grown-up people. When her dear papa, Captain Crewe, brought her from India and gave her into my care, the speech proceeded. He said to me, in a jesting way, I am afraid she will be very rich, Miss Minchin. My reply was, her education at my seminary, Captain Crewe, shall be such as will adorn the largest fortune. Sarah has become my most accomplished pupil. Her French and her dancing are a credit to the seminary. Her manners, which have caused you to call her Princess Sarah, are perfect. Her amiability she exhibits by giving you this afternoon's party. I hope you appreciate her generosity. I wish you to express your appreciation of it by saying aloud altogether, Thank you, Sarah. The entire schoolroom rose to its feet as it had done the morning Sarah remembered so well. Thank you, Sarah, it said, and it must be confessed that Lottie jumped up and down. Sarah looked rather shy for a moment. She made a curtsy, and it was a very nice one. Thank you, 
she said, for coming to my party. Very pretty indeed, Sarah, approved Miss Minchin. That is what a real princess does when the populace applauds her. Lavinia, scathingly, the sound you just made was extremely like a snort. If you are jealous of your fellow pupil, I beg you will express your feelings in some more ladylike manner. Now I will leave you to enjoy yourselves. The instant she had swept out of the room, the spell her presence always had upon them was broken. The door had scarcely closed before every seat was empty. The little girls jumped or tumbled out of theirs. The older ones wasted no time in deserting theirs. There was a rush toward the boxes. Sarah had bent over one of them with a delighted face. These are books, I know, she said. The little children broke into a rueful murmur, and Ermengarde looked aghast. Does your papa send you books for a birthday present? she exclaimed. Why, he's as bad as mine. Don't open them, Sarah. I like them, Sarah laughed, but she turned to the biggest box. When she took out the last doll, it was so magnificent that the children uttered delighted groans of joy and actually drew back to gaze at it in breathless rapture. She is almost as big as Lottie, someone gasped. Lottie clapped her hands and danced about, giggling. She's dressed for the theater, said Lavinia. Her cloak is lined with ermine. Oh, cried Ermengarde, darting forward. She has an opera glass in her hand, a blue and gold one. Here is her trunk, said Sarah. Let us open it and look at her things. She sat down upon the floor and turned the key. The children crowded clamoring around her as she lifted tray after tray and revealed their contents. Never had the schoolroom been in such an uproar. There were lace collars and silk stockings and handkerchiefs. There was a jewel case containing a necklace and a tiara, which looked quite as if they were made of real diamonds. There was a long seal skin and muff. There were ball dresses and walking dresses and visiting dresses. There were hats and tea gowns and fans. Even Lavinia and Jessie forgot that they were too elderly to care for dolls and uttered exclamations of delight and caught up things to look at them. Suppose, Sarah said, as she stood by the table putting a large black velvet hat on the impassively smiling owner of all these splendors. Suppose she understands human talk and feels proud of being admired. You are always supposing things, said Lavinia, and her air was very superior. I know I am, answered Sarah, undisturbedly. I like it. There is nothing so nice as supposing. It's almost like being a fairy. If you suppose anything hard enough, it seems as if it were real. It's all very well to suppose things if you have everything, said Lavinia. Could you suppose and pretend if you were a beggar and lived in a garret? Sarah stopped arranging the last doll's ostrich plumes and looked thoughtful. I believe I could, she said. If one was a beggar, one would have to suppose and pretend all the time. But it mightn't be easy. Well, do you know what comes now? Yes, the jingle. This jingle is called A Great Lady. This is the queen of nonsense land. She wears her bonnet on her hand. She carpets her ceilings and frescoes her floors. She eats on her windows and sleeps on her doors. Oh ho, oh ho, to think there could be a lady so silly down dilly as she. 
She goes for a walk on an ocean wave. She fishes for cats in a coral cave. She drinks from an empty glass of milk and lines her potato trees with silk. I'm sure that for never and never was seen so foolish a thing as the nonsense queen. She ordered a wig for a blue bottle fly, and she wrote a note to a pumpkin pie. She makes all the oysters wear emerald rings, and does dozens of other nonsensible things. Oh, the scatterbrained, shatterbrained lady so grand, her royal sky highness of nonsense land. What did you think of the great lady? Do you think she's very sensible, or likes to do things that don't make sense? What other things do you think she might do? Write me an email and tell me. I'm looking forward to reading it. And that's the end of our episode today. I hope you enjoyed it. Come back on Thursday when we will hear the second part of our chapter. Have a great week. Tremendous thanks to Epidemic Sound for the songs and sound we heard today, and to Project Gutenberg for the books we read. I'd also like to thank my family, my parents and sister, and a couple of friends who I know are listening. Thank you all. Thank you all.